Well, we're in 2 Corinthians. We've been savoring every part of it. and We're going to do a few more verses tonight. But let's uh, go to 2 Corinthians. We're in chapter 7. Paul's ministering. The Holy Spirit's moving through him. He's building up the church, strengthening the believers. And he's laying down principles for us to glean as he writes this letter to one of the early churches that were dear to his heart. Um, chapter 7, I'm going to start in verse 8. Tonight we should cover through verse 11, but let's thank God for Second Corinthians and then I'll read the text and we'll jump in. Father, we thank you tonight for all of the Bible, 66 books from cover to cover. They're a comfort to us, a blueprint for living, their strength their answers for our soul at any time in life. Father, everything we need is in your word. It's what you've revealed to us. So we pray tonight as we look at these few verses, Lord, that you'd quicken our hearts and open up our minds and that our spirits would have good ground to absorb up truth tonight. I'm praying, Lord, that what you reveal to us tonight by the Holy Spirit would be a permanent part of each of us and that it would stay with us for eternity. That's because your word is eternal. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance, for you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you, what vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment of wrong. In everything, you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in this matter. <clears throat> so Paul is speaking to the Corinthians. He's correcting some attitudes in the church, correcting some issues. We think back to when we started this and introducing the book that there were those in Corinth among the church that questioned Paul's apostolic authority. They challenged his leadership. And still he's making those things right by the preaching of the word and by the giving of sound doctrine. And the Corinthians are starting to get it. Say get it. Yeah. Isn't it nice when you're trying to teach somebody something and they get it? Yeah. Did you ever try to teach somebody something that wasn't getting it? Or maybe had no capacity to get it? Anybody. The people without the capacity to get it just didn't get it. Okay. But Paul is giving them wisdom here. The Holy Spirit's pouring through them, and they're starting to wake up. They're starting to get it, and they're falling in line, and good things are happening. Paul's getting excited. They're getting excited. We pick up here in verse 8. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter. Think about that. Verse 8 starts off with the fact that, you know, we think, well, everything about God is good and fun and exciting, but sometimes there's pruning. Sometimes there's chastening. Anybody ever get a Holy Ghost butt whipping? Let me raise my hands. You know, and pretty recently, praise God. 
And so that's a good thing because God is, God only chastens those he loves and he only corrects his own children, amen. But there's sometimes where, you know, the things that God are, is doing in us is not happy, clappy, goosebumpy. Okay, and that's okay. So he says, though my letter caused you sorrow, I do not regret it. Now, wait a minute, that's, that sounds a little callous, but we need to understand what he means by that there. You know, when you hurt somebody, you don't say, ah, I'm not sorry. Husbands, you hurt your wife's feelings, ah, suck it up. It's going to be a cold night. In fact, some of the husbands look petrified, looking straight forward. Because we know when you hurt somebody, you don't say, well, you know, I, I'm not sorry. I don't, re- I don't regret it. And yet Paul says that here. And sometimes we have to say things to others that will be awkward and unpleasant. All right, let me say that again. Sometimes we have to say things to others that will be awkward and unpleasant. Not everything is, like I said, happy, clappy, goose bumpy, and smiles, and rainbows, and fairy dust. No, sometimes the word of God cuts. Sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes correction stings. And he says, I I caused you to sorrow by my letter, but I do not regret it. So Paul is having one of those awkward, unpleasant exchanges with the Corinthians in a sense where he's bringing those who are out of alignment back into alignment. And the truth does sting at times. Now, a willingness to say the truth in love. Did you notice I attached that part to saying the truth? Do you ever see people who they say the truth and sometimes just according to them, but there's no love in it? Isn't it hard to receive from people who, who, who dish out the truth like that? Yep. Now, if it's God's truth, I mean, there's people, we, we, in ministry, we talk about people who have prophetic ministries. A lot of times, they don't have any bedside manner because they're not shepherds. If you've ever sat under some of the prophetic ministry, any charismaniacs here, people from, you know, old-time Pentecostals, a few of us, yeah, still, okay, all of us are Methodists, all good tonight. No, but you know, if you've sat under any kind of prophetic ministry, sometimes they don't have good bedside manner. Sometimes they just serve it up hard and cold. That's because they're not shepherds. The shepherds then have to gather up the sheep and put them back together again. <laughs> and th- that's a shepherd's heart. That's the father's heart. But the prophetic edge <clears throat> is a different edge. They can't afford to care about what people think. They've got to be willing to speak the word of the Lord. So A willingness to tell the truth in love when it needs to be told is what separates effective Christians from ineffective Christians. If you want to be an effective Christian, sometimes you have to have the awkward conversation. Sometimes you have to confront. Sometimes you have to challenge. You need to do it in love every time. But you can't just categorically decide, I'm not doing that. Because that makes you ineffective. The church quit a long time ago speaking to the world about truth, and now we've just tolerated a whole lot of stuff, and it's now it's encroaching the things of the kingdom. Now it's in our schools. Now it's in our courts. Now it's in our government. Now it's affecting our daily living. And the difference was Christians weren't effective because they were unwilling to hold up God's banner of truth in love, so they became ineffective and marginalized. In the Old Testament, the prophets that only spoke good words, words that would be well-received, words that people wanted to hear and refused to confront and correct God's people when they were wrong, were seen by God as wicked, false, and unfaithful prophets. 
I've been in my own personal time studying through Jeremiah, and it is amazing the judgment on Israel before they go into 490 years of Babylonian captivity. Jeremiah is just hammering the truth, and, the, and, and he even speaks against the prophets, and God says through Jeremiah, man, you prophets, you're all, you, you've lied, you prophesied by Baal, you, you, you give words in my name that didn't come from me. God's just kind of going off on the prophets. You know, and, and he goes off on the shepherds and the leaders and all those in leadership in Israel. But God saw those prophets that refused to bring a word that would not be well received. Come on, you understand what I'm saying? And I've questioned that even in the modern times where, you know, we have prophetic people, but they never bring a word of judgment. It's always happy, clappy. It's what people want to hear. God saw those prophets as wicked, false, and unfaithful to him. Paul said what he had to say, and in retrospect, he didn't regret it, although at first he admits that he did regret it. Look what it says here. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I didn't regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. So Paul's being really human and transparent here. He's saying, look, I, I, I love the Lord, and I serve the Lord, and I speak for the Lord. I don't want to hurt anybody, but I had to say this, and it hurt you, and it felt bad at first. It's pretty, it's pretty transparent, isn't it? And that's a good thing for us to see here. You know, the fact that uh, he, he says in retrospect, he doesn't regret it, although he had to admit at first he did, although I did regret it. Now, I believe that's the right heart to have. We shouldn't want to hurt people. And we shouldn't be excited about delivering correction in a way that might hurt people. That's a shepherd's heart. That's a pastor's heart. That's the father heart of God. God says what he has to say, but he's not looking to destroy any of us. He's looking to correct us so that we can be in right relationship with him again. Amen. Now, let me say something about this. Paul says, I, I don't regret it, but I did regret it because I knew it hurt. And so I want to say something about the person who enjoys using their authority uh, and their words and opportunities to correct others, to mentally and spiritual, spiritually destroy others. There's something wrong. That is not like Jesus. Leaders that enjoy conflict, enjoy setting people straight, enjoy uh, hurting people with their words. Look, I've been around. I've been around the block. I'm not, you know, I've been doing this. Uh, in September, it was... 30 years of full-time ministry at the Full Gospel Center. 30 years, amen. And, and I've seen a lot of stuff. <laughs> you think after 30 years, can we get rid of you? No, I, God still, still says I got to stay in New York or stand it, so I'm going to do that. Um, but after all those years, I've seen a lot of things, and, and I've seen ministers who were you know, heavy-handed with their authority or took pleasure in laying down truth in a way that was hurtful to others. You know, and, and I got to say, that's not like Jesus. Well, I just need to tell the truth. No, you need to tell the truth in love. Because love is what draws people to God, and God loves people, amen? And God doesn't want his servants hurting other people. So Paul says, I, I did regret it at first, but, you know, I'm glad to see uh, that it had the right effect, and he continues, you know, uh, 
what I'm saying to you here, although it stung a little bit, it wasn't out of anger, it wasn't vindictive, it wasn't mean-spirited. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 says this, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Listen, verse 15, here it is. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. That's why the truth needs to be delivered because it brings us into compliance. It brings us into the image of Jesus. It transforms us from our old twisted nature into the the nature that God wants us to have in Christ. So Paul's like, you know, uh, having the humility and self-control that he does here, he's able to speak the truth in love and it's byproduct, one of the byproducts is that it's gonna produce spiritual maturity in people. How many have ever had somebody say something to you that at first, man, you did not like it? Come on. Like twice a week this happens to me and I'm muttering in the corner. And like the more you mutter about it and the more you get twisted up about it, the more the Holy Spirit goes, yoo-hoo. They were right. (laughs) They were speaking what I wanted to say to you. And you pout and you stomp your feet a little bit and then, but it won't go away. You ever notice that? You know, when people say stupid stuff that's not from God, it just falls to the ground. It annoys you. But when it's the word of the Lord and it stings a little bit, it doesn't go away until we comply with it. And so uh, Paul had the humility and the self-control to speak the truth in love, his very humanness was like, I didn't want to hurt you, and I'm sorry I did it first, but now I'm glad because it's going to produce spiritual maturity in you. The last part of the verse is significant. It says, uh, though only for a while, so it hurt. I caused you sorrow, but I do not regret it. Okay, though I did regret it, for I see that my letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. So it was a, a, a short duration. It was a little sting. It was a little, you know, a little bit of pain, and then it was a short thing. So um, correction does hurt sometimes, but only for a short time. When God corrects us, it hurts. When we get one of those Holy Ghost spankings, it hurts, but only for a short while. So don't despise the chastening of the Lord. The lesson that we should get from him saying, though just for a while, is this, that we should be willing to make ourselves and even others face temporary discomfort uh, at times to embrace correction for the greater good so we can be brought back into proper spiritual alignment. We've got to be willing to receive correction ourselves and we've got to be willing to, in love, correct others when the Lord prompts us to. Why? Because it's going to hurt for a little while, but what it's going to produce is an eternal reward, amen? It's going to bring things that are out of alignment back into alignment, okay? And so I've seen over the years that there's an unwillingness in a lot of ministers and ministries to correct certain issues, and we can see what it's produced in the body of Christ today quiet. I'll wait for the baby to make noise. (laughs) So Paul's saying, sorry, but not sorry. I didn't want to offend anybody. I didn't want to hurt anybody. Uh, But you know, uh, this produces something good in you. And we're going to, we're going to unpack all of what that is as we get further into the verse here. But you know, there, there's a crowd in the church and I call this crowd the, I don't want to offend anybody ever crowd. 
There's a crowd in the world that says you shouldn't offend anybody ever. Come on. Come on, Wednesday night. Preach back at me a little bit. You feel that pressure out there? You can't say that. It's offensive. And that's crept into the church. And we got people behind pulpits that are unwilling under any circumstances to say something that might be offensive or construed as offensive or, or, or bring any kind of conviction. So Paul's saying sorry, but not sorry. Uh, I had to do it, and I'm glad I did. People who really love others are willing to take the risk to offend them when God prompts them to speak the truth in love. Think about it. There's people in your life that are lost. They're going to hell, and you and, you and I are too timid. We're too embarrassed to, to get right in there and lay the gospel out and really get, we kind of avoid the subject. Come on, it can't be just me, but I got people, and you know, they got walls up, and I can feel them, and I'm like, well, it's not the right time, but, but at some point, it's got to be the right time, amen, because we have to be a faithful witness, but if we really love others, we're going to take the risk that they might get offended. Why? Because the end result is that the gospel will save them, the truth will set them free, and Jesus will open blind eyes, but only if we are bold enough to speak the truth in love. Proverbs 27, 6 says this, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Oh, this might hurt a little bit, but I'm doing it out of love, and I'm doing it as a friend, and so you might get wounded, but it's a faithful thing, and it's a short duration, and hopefully the light goes on, and truth is received, and in the end, fruit is produced. Verse 9, well, we had all that fun in one verse. Don't read through your Bible too quick. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance for you were made sorrowful according to the will of God so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. So verse 9 reveals the very fruitful purpose of correction in the body of Christ. Paul now rejoices that he made them sorrowful because the sorrow led them to the place of repentance and repentance allowed them to be restored. Say repentance. Repentance is not a negative. Repentance is not shameful. Repentance is not something that we should avoid. Repentance is our get-out-of-jail-free card. Repentance is the key to us being restored. The enemy tricks us. He snares us. He distracts us. He sidetracks us. And we get all bound up and we get all, you know, our joy gets stolen, our, you know, our purpose gets diluted and, and God looks and he's like, hey, I, I want to set you free, but you, you got to acknowledge how you got here and what you did and you got to repent. And if you repent, I'll forgive you and I'll restore you. Yeah. So repentance is, is, the, is the point here. And that's why you're made sorrowful, what, to the point of repentance and that, you know, sorrow according to the will of God. This is powerful stuff in here so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. Now, God's motivation in revealing and correcting sin in us as people is not to humiliate us. Hello. If, you, if, if you're in God's presence and, and he corrects something in you, you're not going to feel dread or terror or embarrassment or humiliation. You're going to feel the correction of a loving father. Anytime someone humiliates you or tries to dress you down or tries to embarrass you, that's not God. 
That's the way the devil operates. That's not the way God operates. That's not the way the Holy Spirit operates. He's a perfect gentleman. So God's motivation in correcting his people is not to humiliate, to destroy, or expose. No, he wants us to repent so that we can be brought back into right relationship with him because he loves us. Isn't it much easier to receive correction from somebody you know who loves you? Man, if your boss at work is just miserable and you can tell they don't like you, every little nitpicky thing they go after you on, even if they're right, it's hard to receive that. Well, when someone really loves you and they've proven that they love you and they've shown that they love you and they correct you on something, it's a lot easier to receive. Realize God loves you tonight and his correction is a sign that you're one of his own children. And so, you know, be willing to receive that, that godly sorrow that leads to repentance will bring restoration. God's not trying to expose us, not trying to humiliate us, doesn't want to destroy us. He wants what's best for us. The second part of verse 9 is crucial. The conviction that led the Corinthians to sorrow and eventual repentance was not according to the will of man, but according to the will of God. I want you to get this. It's real important. For you were made sorrowful, Paul says, according to the will of God. Did you catch that? That's important. Why? Because if Pastor Rick makes you sorry, that's not the point of the drill, and that, that's not going to get the job done. Amen? Right. But if God makes you sorry through the Holy Spirit according to his will for such a time as this over such an issue, when it's God, then something fruitful is going to happen because God never corrects or chastises or prunes without a plan to restore. And get this, he says it's by the will of God. You and I shouldn't arbitrarily meddle in people's lives. Oh, come on, Wednesday night. Your silence makes me think that you're out there going, yes, we should. And now, you, don't do that. You're going to make me mad. I'm like a shark that smells blood. We should not arbitrarily meddle in other people's lives. No, still not enough. So you and I are... are children of God, servants of God, but none of us have the role of assistant Holy Spirit. There's no such job, okay? The Holy Spirit does not need our assistance. We don't have the right to just meddle and muck around and just point out in, in, in anybody's life unless the Lord prompts us to do it. Oh, we got to hear this tonight. This is important. I see I got my work cut out for me, so meddling and, 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 and picking at things and, and, and pointing out things and everybody around us is a very delicate issue. It's a very delicate thing to correct others. Now, more damage has been done to the church, inside the church, and to those outside the church, but what I call those proverbial loose cannons who think they can speak for God without God prompting them to speak. Oh, this is good. I don't care if you like it or not. <laughs> oh, well, I just thought something. I just saw something. I just, you know, I, I discerned something. So I'm going to blow up the spot. I'm going to expose it. Did God tell you to do that? If he didn't, you better, you better not open that Pandora's box. You better not smack that hornet's nest. We should never speak for God when God has not told us to speak. That's very presumptuous. 
I've been around a long time. I told you how long. But even when I was a kid, I got saved at 14. And I heard a lot of people say, thus saith the Lord. When God didn't say nothing. And there again, back to Jeremiah, he corrected the prophets. He goes, you prophesy after your own ideas and your own heart and your own inclinations, but I didn't put those words in your mouth. Oh, come on now. So we don't meddle in people's lives. We don't, we don't just play like the assistant Holy Spirit. We don't speak unless God tells us to speak. And we don't, you know, uncork things unless God has prompted us. We need to be careful in dealing with others. Now, if you see something in somebody and the Holy Spirit doesn't prompt you to speak, it's because he wants you to pray. The reason he showed it to you is not so you could jump in there and roll up your sleeves and make a bigger mess. He wants you to pray. And many times, prayer will solve the issue bloodlessly without you and I getting involved in making a bigger mess. But those who speak when God has not told them to speak make a lot of problems in the body of Christ. They make more drama. They make more division. The apostles' disclaimer here at the end of the verse is, you know, it's pretty telling here when he says, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. Paul wants to strengthen the body of Christ. He wants to quell the dissension in it. He wants to win back the Corinthians so they'll recognize his apostleship and receive his teaching. Why? Because it'll save their souls. He doesn't want to create more trouble or drama. And so he's like, I don't want you to suffer any loss through me. When God initiates the confronting and correcting, the potential for a good result is high. When man does it by his own hand, the potential for drama and division is high. This is for mature believers, amen? If you can hear the word of the Lord tonight, hear the word of the Lord. Have people suffered loss because others in the body of Christ have mishandled them? Let me say it again and feel free to answer. Have people suffered, have you suffered loss because people in the body of Christ have mishandled you? We're shy tonight. But all of us have. All of us have suffered, you know, hurts and wounds and... uh, embarrassment because we've been mishandled. If you've been in church any amount of time, if you've, you know, I guarantee that all of us deal with this stuff and it's because of immature believers who speak when God hasn't spoken to them, who, who, who unpack things that God never told them to touch, who instead of praying, meddled and made a bigger mess. I never want to be the person who does this to another believer. And I don't want that stuff in the full gospel center, amen? Amen. Now, I realize we're going to have some of it no matter what, but we need to minimize it as much as possible, and that's through understanding our place, understanding the word, and embracing maturity, amen? Amen. Verse 10 puts it this way, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance without regret. Look at that. Look at that. When God does it, it all works out. Isn't that interesting? When God's allowed to initiate it, and when God handles it, and when we respond to the prompting of God, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance without regret. Listen, leading to salvation. Isn't that beautiful? But the sorrow of the world produces death. Could that be any more stark? 
When we do it our way, when we do it the world's way, we produce death, we produce destruction, division, drama, all of that. When God does it divinely by his own hand and when we're responsive to his prompting and do it in his timing, it, it produces repentance that leads to salvation. Come on, isn't that the point of the drill? Isn't that what we want for people? We don't want to just point out sins. We don't want to just, you know, make them feel convicted. We don't want to set them straight. We want to see them get saved. Think about the world around us. Boy, we could spend a whole lot of time. Some of you do. You go on social media and you fight with everybody available. It's foolishness. Did God prompt you to say that? How many times did you type something to go, ah, delete the whole thing? Right? So important lessons here that, you know, are kind of beneath the surface that we need to dig out. Can't be any clearer. God's way leads to salvation. Man's way leads to death. Just remember when God brings something from this pulpit, no matter who's behind it, that makes you sorrowful or brings conviction to you, its purpose is not to embarrass, expose, or, 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 or destroy you. It's to bring you and I back into proper spiritual alignment. Aren't you thankful for what the Holy Spirit does and how he does it? That when we're out of line, he gently, lovingly brings us back into line. Uh, it should provoke repentance in us that produces salvation, that produces right relationship. You know, sometimes, you know, through choices that we make, we get out of right relationship with the Lord. How many people are mature enough and honest enough to admit there's times where I've been out of right relationship with the Lord? Amen. And so, you know, we need to be gently brought back and we need correction. And thank God Paul was willing to bring it. Thank God the Corinthians were willing to receive it. And thank God we're seeing fruit produced by it because it was initiated by the Lord. Now, verse 11 has a lot of moving parts here and I'm gonna read it and then we're gonna break it down. For behold, now Paul's given, a, he's given kind of a breakdown of, of what the fruit was that was produced here. Uh, God prompted a correction. Uh, they received it, and uh, now it has produced some really positive fruit in them according to go godly sorrow that led to repentance. Listen to this. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. Listen, what vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment of wrong, and this last part, in everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So the Corinthians, if not anything, were not innocent. Yet because they received correction and were brought back into proper alignment, Paul lists all the fruits that that produced in their life. The first thing he says is what earnestness. Now, that word earnestness implies a sincere desire to correct the direction of one's life. How many think that's a pleasing thing to the Lord? Yeah. A sincere desire to correct the direction of our lives. Like I said, studying the Old Testament prophets, everything the prophets prophesied, the people, the, the Hebrews, the children of Israel, they didn't want to hear it. The kings would persecute them. They stoned the prophets. They killed the prophets. They, they, they locked them up in the stocks when they brought the word of the Lord. They didn't have a sincere desire to cor correct the trajectory of their lives. 
What were they lacking? Earnestness. So Paul says, you, you responded correctly. You had this sincere desire to correct the direction of your life and, and to get back on track, and that's pleasing to the Lord. That's the first fruit. Then what he says, what vindication of yourselves. You know, that word vindication is one that we've heard before. Uh, when someone tries to vindicate themselves, they, they try to justify themselves. Have you ever been in a place where someone falsely accused you and you try to set it straight to vindicate yourself? You know what an exercise in futility that is, sometimes fighting with people that don't like you. You know, it's hard to make people who don't like you like you. Anyway, I've never experienced it, but maybe some of you have. <laughs> And so what vindication of yourselves? Paul is saying, you know, you've been vindicated. How? The Corinthians were now right with God because they were right with Paul and they received him and his apostleship and his teaching. They were in correct alignment now. You know, you can't be right with God if you're not right with, you know, with the prophets and the preachers and the elders. And, you know, we, we, don't, we can't get out of order like that. So there was a stop up. There was a blockage here in the order. And, and he says, what? Now you're vindicated. You're right with God because you've received me as servant and you received the word of the Lord that's coming through me. You know, without Paul in the New Testament, there was no solid theology. You get this? God wasn't important it through any, anybody else. The Jews were making trouble. The Judaizers were trying to bring the people back into legalism. Oh, yeah, you could receive Christ, but you got to keep the law of Moses, and you got to do this, and you got to be circumcised, and you got to be this, and you got to be that. And there was only one channel, really. The apostles were, were, were that link, and, and the apostle Paul, I'm telling you, 90% of New Testament theology came through this, this one guy. So if the Corinthians were out of alignment with him, they had seriously handicapped their ability to grow in the Lord. So he says, you're vindicated. Then he says, what indignation. So now they went from being adversarial with him. They went from, uh, you know, rejecting him to being vindicated. And now they were actually indignant against those who were teaching false theology or resisting the, the, the word of the Lord. What indignation. They were now, that word indignation means viscerally opposed to those who were out of order with God. Wow. You and I should have that. that not that we become unloving, not that we become judgmental, but we should be viscerally opposed and indignant towards those who reject the truth of God's word. Yeah. Amen. Too many of us are like, ah, well, to each his own. You know, all roads lead to God. You know, everybody, everybody has a different way. That's not cute or funny or pleasing to the Lord. It's a stench in his nostrils. Why? Because when God's people have no conviction and no, uh, you know, that, that they're unwilling to stand up for the truth, what hope does the world have? So now the Corinthians who were formerly you know, troublemakers and those who resisted the truth, they were now indignant to those who did, who opposed God's order. Then he says, what fear? And this is uh, because godly sorrow and repentance had produced a healthy fear of the Lord in them now. You know, when you're out of line and you get brought back into line, the last thing you want to do is get out of line again. Anybody? It's like when you're overweight and you lose weight, the last thing you want to do is gain that weight back. Right? And you, and you approach your diet and you exercise with a little bit of, you know, I don't want to say fear in that sense, but with discipline, amen? Yeah. 
And, and these guys now had a fear of the Lord. Why? Because we were out of line and we got corrected and we got brought back into line. So now we have a healthy fear of the Lord that we don't want to fall out of line again. We need, a, we need a, a new dose of the fear of the Lord Wednesday night. What longing, what zeal. So they now not only had the fear of the Lord, but they had a passion to want to do the right thing. You know, and I pray for people who struggle with sin more than anything else, that they would have a passion to do the right things. Do you ever see somebody who's made wrong choice after wrong choice after wrong choice to the point that doing the wrong thing is reflexive to them? Come on, maybe you've been there in your life. Maybe when you were a young person, you know, you just couldn't put two right choices together in a row. And it was always a problem, but, you know, and you didn't fear the Lord, and you figured you could do whatever you want. Now, these guys had the fear of the Lord. They had indignation towards being out of line. They felt vindicated because they were back in proper alignment. They had a sincere desire to correct the direction of their life, and th this passion was in them to want to please the Lord. That's what you and I should pray for more than anything else. It's been the cry of my heart for a while now. Lord, I just want to be pleasing to you. I want to please you, Lord. Anything in me that's not pleasing to you, Lord, uh, reveal it to me, root it out, expose it. Sometimes we do things that we know are not pleasing to the Lord, and it puts a lid over our lives. And it hinders our prayers. And we're like, uh, why am I not getting any breakthrough? Why am I not prospering? Why are things going wrong for me constantly? Sometimes it's the lid. Because we got to have this longing, this zeal, this passion to be right with God, to be pleasing in his sight. And then finally he concludes with, what punishment of wrong? They were delivered from indifference to the point concerning the things of the kingdom of God that they were now willing to stand against everyone and everything that was out of line around them and in them. This is a good thing, amen? You and I need to be willing to punish the wrong desires, the wrong appetites, the wrong affections we have in our own lives. You see, most people, maybe they'll admit them or maybe they'll read a self-help book on it, but are they really willing to bring a sword to it? Sometimes you and I need to bring a sword to that wrong behavior, that wrong thought, that wrong pattern, and really get serious and passionate about rooting sin out of our lives. Amen. Or we can stay stuck and hindered and in bondage, and the word of the Lord will hit deaf ears, and the judgment of God gets hotter and hotter and hotter. But I want to tell you something I've learned over these many years of walking with the Lord. God will not be ignored. He will get our attention. You know, one time there was a, a donkey and the farmer couldn't make the donkey move and he couldn't pull it. He pulled the donkey, pulled or whatever. He tried to get the donkey to do. The donkey wouldn't do it. He told his other farmer friend. The farmer friend came over, looked at the donkey a little bit, went to the barn, got a two by four and smacked that donkey in the head. Boom. And then the donkey sat and he was led and he did everything. He said, what did you do? He said, you got to get his attention first. <laughs> you and I shouldn't be like the donkey. God doesn't want to lead us with the two-by-four. He wants to lead us with the bit and the bridle to gently just direct us. 
Well, the last part of verse 11 reveals an important principle for all believers, and I want to close with it. It says, in everything you demonstrated yourself to be innocent in this matter. So what is he doing? He's saying, you guys were out of line. You came back into line. You were, you know, you have earnest and vindication and indignation and fear and longing and zeal and a willingness to, to punish wrong things in your own lives. And, and, and because of that, now you're back in line. And what does he say? You are innocent in this matter. What Paul is really doing here is he's publicly praising the Corinthians for finally doing the right thing. You know, sometimes it takes us a while, but when we finally do the right thing, God affirms us, and God blesses us, and God smiles on us. God doesn't go, well, finally, you know, you don't don't hear it, well, it's about time. And I want you to get this principle tonight, because sometimes we're bad at affirming others. We're, we're bad at praising others. And one of the biggest mistakes people make in marriage and in business and in parenting and even in ministry is they don't acknowledge when their spouse or their coworker or their child or their brothers and sisters in Christ make genuine, sincere changes in their conduct and character. I've been doing marriage counseling a long time. When, when a spouse puts demands on another spouse and then the spouse changes and that spouse doesn't, you know thank them or praise them or say, you know, or even acknowledge that they've changed. Nothing is more destructive to a relationship than someone who never says, well done. Good job. Thank you. It makes people not want to change. And so Paul is not doing that here, showing himself to be a good leader. He is praising them for the adjustment, for the change that they made. There's no attitude, well, it's about time, or I told you so, or what took you so long. He's like, good job. You're totally innocent in this. You're in proper alignment. Things can flow well now for me and for you, and he's totally excited about it. Nothing deflates a person's willingness to change faster than those who benefit from it directly and at the same time refuse to acknowledge it. Remember that. If God ever used you to correct another, when they respond and do the right thing, make sure to praise them and affirm them and encourage them. And if you do that and people don't do it for you, bring it to the Lord and let him encourage your heart, amen? Because you and I can get deflated by others who refuse to acknowledge when we've done our best to change. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you for the word. I pray, Lord, that... Uh, there was good ground out there to receive it. I pray that everything that the Holy Spirit brought out of that text would challenge us, would stretch us. Father, I pray for areas in all of our lives where we are out of spiritual alignment. Lord God, we want to hear your correction and we want to respond with passion uh, and the fear of the Lord to bring ourselves back into alignment. That godly sorrow would not be something that we run away from, but that we would savor it And we would enjoy it, Lord. Why? Because you're trying to set us free because you love us. Father, I pray for every person out there tonight who's been hurt or wounded or mishandled by others in the body of Christ. And now they're broken, they're hurting, they don't trust anymore. Father, heal those wounds in our hearts so that, Lord, even when others try to meddle or correct us when they weren't prompted by the Lord or they spoke to us, the word of the Lord, and and it wasn't from you. Lord God, we choose to forgive all of that. We draw a bloodline on it.